to Westminster Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Today's sermon comes from Ephesians 4, 17-24, and is titled, Putting Off the Old, Putting on the New. And what gives extra emphasis to Paul's call to walk not as other Gentiles, here in verse 17? Well, he adds the words, testify in the Lord. He now says, this I say therefore. This I say, therefore, following all that I've said about unity, about growing in grace, about being founded on the Word of God, and now I want to tell you something else. This I say and testify in the Lord. I'm testifying. This is almost an extra add-on to to how important what he is saying is. This I testify in the Lord. Listen up, he's saying. Pay attention to what I'm teaching you here. And so we have here a key um, instruction, a key teaching or a key question from the Word of God. It really outlines to us how our Christian lives to be consistent with a belief in an almighty God and a glorious Savior. How? How are our Christian lives consistent? That we believe in an almighty God who is over all things and a glorious Savior. Paul is really emphasizing we we have unity in the body of Christ, we're growing, we understand the truth, we have love for one another, but you need to walk consistently with what you believe. And that is something of great emphasis here. So then, with this great emphasis on what he's about to say, he first sets out negatively what the Ephesian believer should not be. What they should not be. And so, he says... They are reminded here, the believers are reminded not to walk as if they were Gentiles, that they were without God, that they were not to walk in the vanity of their own mind, it says here, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their own mind. As I've already said, walk here means your step-by-step character, your lifestyle, your pattern of life. And Ephesians chapter 5 verse 2 gives this emphasis on walk again. It says, And walk in love as Christ also has loved us and have given himself for us an offering and sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. I mean, what a thing to say. Walk in love as Christ has loved us. What a great challenge that is for how we live our Christian life. And again, in verse 8, it talks about they were sometimes in darkness, but now they are children of light in the Lord. They are to walk as children in the light, Ephesians 5 verse 8. And then in verse 15 of chapter 5, they are told, See then that ye work circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. So they're to walk with that carefulness. They are to measure themselves. So they avoid temptations. They walk in a way that is glorifying to the Lord. They're not foolish in their decisions, but they're wise, using the sanctified knowledge that they have through the Word of God. And so you see three things very briefly there in Ephesians 5, that they're to walk in love as Christ has loved us. They're to walk in the light, and they're to walk with wisdom and not as fools. This is the very opposite 
of what we find here in verse 17. Here are described for us a group who are walking according to the vanity of their own minds, or some other translations talk of futility of their own minds. How they think and how we think will ultimately impact on the decisions that we make in our lives and how we live our lives. I read an example Ephesians, uh, Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. Remember when Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden. And the foolishness of their thinking was that they thought after they sinned, they can hide from God. This is the sort of vain thinking uh, that is uh, described for us here. It makes no sense when you realize the reality of an almighty or powerful God. And we also read here, that the vanity of their mind is marked and characterized by their understanding being darkened. Verse 18, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. They have, their, they have this darkness in terms of their understanding. Now, of course, we know from the Word of God that sin has marred our character and blinded us to the things of God. That we have a warped view of God without, with, our, with our own view, without God's Word, and without the Holy Spirit opening our eyes to His truth. And so, the mind here is quite interesting in this passage, how the mind here is being referred to numerous uh, times. It is being referred to as such that there is faulty thinking going on here. There is thinking that, that is not really uh, working at all. This vanity of their minds and being darkened, uh, f- their understanding darkened to the things of God. Now this is explained for us or set out more helpfully in Romans uh, chapter, chapter 1. Sorry, Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, where we read this. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto unto God, which is your reasonable service. And then read verse 2 here. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God? You see here this great emphasis, not being conformed to this world. Paul calls on the Roman believer not to be conformed to this world, but to be transformed as the Lord is renewing their mind. They're, when the Lord saves us, when by the grace of God we know Christ as our Savior and Redeemer, our, our whole outlook changes, does it not? We now want to live for the glory of God. I'm no longer just living maybe for a paycheck at the end of the month for for my holiday coming up, but I'm living for the living God. I'm living to glorify Him, and He's using me in this service. That indeed, I'm promised grace sufficient. And so, uh, this is very different. The Lord is transforming our minds. And then Colossians chapter, two, we re- chapter 3, verse 2, we are called to set our affection on things above, not on things on the earth. Now, maybe at first glance you think, 
It says affection there, isn't it? Is it not talking about our emotions? Well, I, I maybe would steer you in this direction. It's talking there where it uses set your affection on things above of the exercise of the mind. In the original, it means to be disposed to this or that thing mentally. John Gill puts it like this. The word signifies to mind them, to think on them, to favor and approve of them, to be affectionately desirous of them and concerned for them. So you see, there's, there's this, this godly desire to, to set our things on things that are pleasing to the Lord. So, I think it's fair to say, on the basis of these texts I've shown you, and Ephesians 4, verse 17 and 18, in many ways there's a battle for your minds. How you think shapes how you live. And if you're without Christ, you're in darkness. And you're thinking in the vanity of your own thoughts. And you haven't had your eyes opened to the glorious truth of God and to his precious word. And I pray that you may diligently search his word, that you too may know the Savior and Redeemer. God's truth is the revelation of God. And for each and every believer, it should shape and guard our minds. In Ephesians chapter 6, we're given that famous passage where we're told to take upon ourselves the whole armor of God that we may be able to withstand the wiles of the devil. What is a piece of armor that's described for us there? Of course, the sword of the Spirit. The sword of the Spirit that is the Word of God. And so this is a vital piece in our armory. Also, I want you to see here, not only is there a darkness of their understanding, but at the middle part of verse 18, it talks of them being alienated or separated from the life of God through ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. Now, this is a very terrifying and sad statement. In many ways, Paul is tracing here the dire situation of the the mental conception of vanity without God and without Christ, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through ignorance that is in them. There is the element here of the damaging effect of a sinful heart and the reality of personal culpability for its spiritual darkness. Ignorance of God. There is a blindness. There is a blindness that people have if they are yet in their sins. If they haven't been awakened to the truth of God by God's matchless grace, there is a spiritual darkness and an ignorance. But that doesn't give them an excuse. There is still culpability. There is ignorance because they are blind to these things because they are sinful. Let me give you... Uh, some scripture backing for this. Romans chapter 1. In Romans chapter 1 and verse um, 19, we read these words. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. It's just spoken about those who the wrath of God is revealed against. And yet it says in verse 19, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath shown it unto them. 
For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Paul sets out to the believers in Rome, verse 19, they have known of God, God has shown it unto them, and rather than heading and embracing what the Lord reveals in creation to further study, to know more about the Lord, to see if the Lord has revealed his word, they do the very opposite. They continue in their sin. Because even though the invisible things of God from the creation of the world are clearly seen, His eternal power and Godhead, yet through their blindness and their sin, they continue rejecting Him. Let me say this. God's sovereignty is not a get-out clause for man's accountability. The call is for all men everywhere to repent and believe the Gospel. There is that general revelation of the Creator and Almighty God. And so we find here in Romans chapter 1. So they're, they're blind. There's a, there's a blindness. They're ignorant of the Lord in terms of the fact they don't want to believe it. They're still in their sins. And then it goes even further, doesn't it? Verse 19. Who being past feeling have given themselves over to lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. The blindness of a heart in sin renders a certain hardness, a hardness to the things of God, impervious to the truths of the gospel. Conscience suppresses in differing degrees, in differing individuals. But every fallen human being is in this dire spiritual state without the Lord Jesus Christ. And then it says here, they have, been, they have given themselves over to lasciviousness. That's a very interesting word, and maybe you think it's a rather complicated word. Well, it's sometimes described as, as some sort of lust, some unbridled desire, I think it's fair to say. They've given themselves over to unbridled desire of whatever they want. Just forget God. I'm going to continue in my own way, forget of any revelation of God, of any design in His creation, of any investigation of His Word. And so it is with the sin-sick person. In fact, when I was looking up this particular word, I discovered it's still an offense in some parts of the USA. You can be charged with lasciviousness um, in certain states. Someone was charged in the 2013 with with this particular crime. But in terms of the Greek here, it is sometimes sometimes allocated especially to some sort of sexual aspect, but it also has a general application to this whole uh, desire and mindset, and I think that's what it's referring to here. In Jude chapter 1 verse 4, it is used in the context of uh, being ungodly and generally in error or false doctrine. And so uh, there is a wider application of this word. So let me just conclude this first part by saying this is what they were not to be. Paul is saying to them, this is how you were. You're not to be like this anymore. You've trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. You've been changed by the grace of God. 
This is a description, dare I say it, of their old life and how they lived as a, in the old man as we'll come on to shortly. And so they're warned not to go down that road. And then secondly, we're instructed in the second part here more positively to put off the old man and to put on the new man. We're to put off the life walk, the life walk of the old man. The way that we used to live before we were saved. Just forgetting about the Lord and and just living however. Forgetting about the Word of God and not concerned how it might apply to our lives. We're to put that off. And we're to put on the new man. That we might be a faithful Christian. And so, in verse 20, we see here, But ye have not so learned Christ. Paul is saying, this is not what I taught you. You know, uh, those of you who are acquainted with the book of Acts in the New Testament, you find in Acts 20, Paul ministered to the church at Ephesus for a period of time. He had taught them. And in Acts chapter 20 and verse 27, uh, we read, and it's pointed out to us, he says these words, For I have not shunned to declare unto you the whole counsel of God. And then in verse 19, we're told he was serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with many tears and temptations which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews. Paul, as he's ministered there, he was teaching them. He sought to give them the whole counsel of God. And he's saying, I taught you, you grasp the truth. You know better than living in an ungodly way. As if you had no conception of what I taught you. You have learned Christ. So live like it, is what he is saying here. In fact, verse um, verse 20 to 21 here, uh, we find of Ephesians chapter 4, from 21 to 24, you see outlined these different things. And the very end of the chapter gives this list for us. These hallmarks of what we should not be. Verse 25, putting away lying. Uh, Verse 26, be angry and sin not. In 27, give no place to the devil. Verse 28, him that steals is to steal no more. Verse 29, corrupt communication is to be changed to that which is edifying. And so on. Verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you. He then uh, trans- he, he moves from the principle of what it is to put off uh, the life walk of the old man to what that actually means practically in our conduct. And maybe this afternoon read through those things. Putting off the old man and putting on the new. One writer says here, Paul is not writing a systematic theology at this point or even a treatise on biblical theology. He is addressing the vital question of how Christians are to live distinctive and godlike in this world. And so if we set this out in pictorial form, they had learned Christ in terms of what they should put off, all the, the attachments of their, old, of their old life, or as it's described for us here, the old man, and they are to put on the new man. They are called upon to be their new identity as Christians in the Lord Jesus Christ, as God's new man or new woman. 
And so in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 15, uh, we, we get a glimpse of that, don't we? It says, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, and so making peace. The believer is a new creation in Christ Jesus. No longer under the power of darkness, but of light. No longer with an understanding that is ignorant of the things of God, but one which is learning the things of God, and the Lord is renewing our minds. The new man, the new Christian, has a lifestyle, an outlook, that follows our mindset as a Christian should be uh, glorifying to the Lord. And so we see it here manifested in two ways. We see it here in putting off our old man and then our old lifestyle of living without God and then putting on the new man. It's very interesting to note in this passage, incidentally, that the Greek and the way the Greek is used is infinitive and not imperative. Well, what does that mean? Well, it means that what Paul is giving them here, he's not giving them a series of commands, but he's giving them a reminder of what they have learned. He's giving them a reminder of what they already know because he wants to make sure that they are living godly lives in Christ Jesus. And this interpretation is backed up by a parallel passage in Colossians 3 and verse 8 where you read a similar thing. We're to put off the old life. You see in the passage before us, verse 22, that you put off uh, concerning the former conversation, the old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Now the term conversation there is used in a previous form. It means our conduct, our whole life. And so it is something that we should deal with. We should put off how, how we used to live without God. And our minds are now being removed, renewed. The unbelieving Gentile was marked by the vanity of the mind. And there's a contrast here. There's a contrast between the unbelieving Gentile and the believing Gentile here at Ephesus and even in our day. That the Christian's walk is marked by a renewed mind. A mind that is concerned about their life in consistent with the Word of God. We have a centerpiece in our thinking, and that centerpiece is God and His glory. We have a resolution to seek first the kingdom of God. And so uh, we have a love that is like that uh, reflective of what the Lord Jesus Christ has shown to us. And so as we read in 2 Corinthians 10 verse 5, we're seeking to bring our thoughts into obedience of Christ. We're seeking to bring our thoughts into obedience with Christ. We need to be reminded, and that's why Paul says it here, that we have not only to put off our, that old life, that old life walk, but we're also to put on the new. Paul concludes with two defining features of the new man created by God. It says in verse 24, and that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. The new man, of, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. This 
brings us, does it not, to think of the Lord. True righteousness. In the same way God is righteous, in the same way God is holy, we, His people, do not become God, but we are His image bearers. We are called to uh, reflect His image in our lives. That which was so marred post-Eden and the fall of man, we are to glorify God in our lives because it is marked by righteousness and holiness. Now, dear friend, let me just add a little caveat here. True holiness and righteousness is not living in a monastery somewhere. No, not at all. That's not biblical. We're told to be in the world, but not of the world. Likewise, we're not to veer into some sort of Platoism where thinking everything physical is wrong. There are many physical things in this world the Lord has given us richly to enjoy. But we are also told what is sin and what is not sin. We're also told we should seek to live a righteous life. So we're bringing our mind, our thought pattern, into consistency with the Word of God. So I flee temptation. So I want to think about the good things in the Word of God. So I want to muse on Scripture so it might help me in my spiritual walk. And so uh, these various things can be a great blessing to us. Let me conclude with this practical question. Are we concerned that our minds are embedded in the Word of God? That our actions may be consistent with a belief in the precepts and promises of God? Are you concerned about that, dear believer? You should be, on the basis of what we've been reading this morning. Are we concerned that our minds are embedded in the Word of God, that our actions may be consistent with a belief in the precepts and promises of God? Shall we pray together? Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for Thy Word. We pray that Thou would help us, give us grace to glorify Thee, Put off those, those old, old things that we were so tempted to do before Thou didst save us and redeem us. We pray, dear Lord, that as our minds are renewed, they may be set apart. They may be such that think in the knowledge that there is an Almighty God. There is a God through whom we live and breathe and have our being. That this life has a purpose that the gifts that Thou hast given to us, we can use for the, for the blessing of the church and the world in which we live. Oh dear Lord, we pray that Thou would help us in this walk. It is not easy. It is hard to fight against sin, the flesh, and the devil. And yet, dear Lord, we pray that we may have that godly resolution to glorify Thee, that we may heed the instruction of Paul this morning. In Christ's precious name, Amen. Shall we conclude and sing number 596 in five?
you for listening. Please join us next week for our next sermon in Ephesians. Please feel free to follow this on Facebook Live or keep track via our website at www.westminsterbaptistchurch.co.uk.